Do you want to learn more about the latest science in reproductive medicine? Explore content from the Fertility and Sterility family of journals, including the newest journals, FNS Reviews, FNS Science, and FNS Reports, all included in your ASRM membership. For even more content, follow Fertility and Sterility on social media, listen to the FNS On Air podcast, and participate in the Journal Club Global and FNS webinar series. To learn more about the Fertility and Sterility family of journals and its multimedia content options, visit fertstert.org. That's F-E-R-T-S-T-E-R-T dot O-R-G. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and today on the show, we are discussing legal considerations with Susan Crocken, who is head of the Crocken Law and Policy Group, PLLC, senior scholar, adjunct professor of the O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law at Georgetown Law Center, and research assistant professor, Kennedy Institute of Ethics, Georgetown University. Thank you so much for being able to come on the show today. Thanks for having me. So, so of course, a lot's been happening in the in 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 the last year. Um, changes have been occurring in the field of reproductive medicine at, at such a pace. Uh, I want to start by asking you, uh, uh, what what exactly are trigger laws, and how do they affect reproductive medicine? So, trigger laws is a shorthand for laws that were passed after Roe v. Wade in 1973 by states that did not like the law, that did not like Roe v. Wade, did not like abortion. And in essence, they are state laws that said, we know they're not constitutional now, but if and when Roe v. Wade is ever reversed, our statute will go into effect either immediately or within 30 days of the Supreme Court decision, which, as you know, Dobbs landed the bombshell in June 2022. Trigger laws are a problem. But they're only part of the problem because we also have zombie laws and we have new laws and we have states that have all three of them. So trigger laws are bad in the sense that they require no affirmative action on the part of a state legislature and they spring into action now. And they were all passed in uh, the hope that the Supreme Court would eventually reverse Roe v. Wade. Zombie laws were passed before Roe v. Wade. And those were automatically made unconstitutional in 1973, but that prohibition has been lifted. And then there are states that have decided, well, since we no longer have to be restrained, let's pass new laws. So states that do not like abortion and that want to restrict it have at their quiver, if you will, zombie laws pre-Roe v. Wade, trigger laws post-Roe v. Wade now in effect, and new laws, and they can have all three of them. Texas has all three. And, and just to clear up, because we get a lot of questions via email here about uh, these things, it, it's still state decision. Is that correct or is that a bit tricky? Well, <laughs> it's not tricky, but it's got two answers. So the, the first answer is the Supreme Court gave states carte blanche to do whatever they wanted with abortion. So that is correct. It is now every state can do what they think is right by their citizenry as determined by their legislature and courts. And the Supreme Court said, the majority, all we're doing is turning the question back to the states. But we know that's not what happened. Lindsey Graham introduced a 15-week ban almost immediately after Dobbs. 
that Congress is over. We've got a new Congress and there have been laws already uh, introduced in the House that would federalize it. And there was an attempt to protect IVF filed in the Senate by Tammy Duckworth that was vetoed and shot down by the Republican majority. So yes, it's back to the states in the sense that no state has to follow at the moment any US constitutional um, parameter sign rule, but there may be ones coming and they all can, in the interim, everybody can follow their own conscience or laws or, or Supreme Court, uh, state Supreme Court and state constitution. There are some states in the midterms, for example, that ratified their states do constitutionally protect abortion. So you can do that. You can you can give more protections than the federal government does. You just um, have to abide by the federal constitution, which at the moment says, go at it. Have there been any updates since the Dobb decision came down last summer that affect uh, ART? There's a lot of things going on. The Supreme Court has not touched it yet. So there's nothing coming out of the Supreme Court. What's come out of Congress, as I said, are these efforts to federalize the question in both directions that have not yet taken hold. Other things that have happened since Dobbs have been the states have been passing these new laws. And the new laws are very emboldened if they're in anti-abortion states that say, you know, everything from six-week bans to, to complete bans to rape and incest exceptions only. Four states tried to do carve-outs for IVF. And it's very, very interesting because I think if you polled any of our audience, there's going to be people who are treating senators and, and Congress people and their children, and they have a lot of IVF families that are quietly built by these lawmakers, and I don't think they want to outlaw IVF. So four states tried to pass anti-abortion laws that said, but we don't mean it for IVF. And um, I think they are Alabama, Indiana, South Carolina, and West Virginia. But South Carolina's bill failed, so it was off the table right now. Indiana's was blocked. And what really worries me, and this does get into the weeds a bit, is if you have an anti-abortion statute that says, but we don't mean IVF, we're not trying to penalize anything other than control anything other than pregnancies, but life begins at fertilization, then that particular statute may not impact IVF or ART providers or patients. But it doesn't mean that if life begins at fertilization in that state, that another law might. So that, for example, the way you treat an early pregnancy or a patient and their embryos, you might find yourself in the crosshairs of another law in that state. So woe be to the embryologist who drops the you know embryos on the floor by mistake. And there's a manslaughter statute that says, you know, if you negligently kill somebody, you are subject to certain penalties. Well, if an embryo is a somebody, we've got problems. So there's been a lot of that going on, and I don't think we know where the dust is going to settle yet. Is it safe to say then that these pose sort of the largest threats or the biggest threats to, to IVF and ART as a whole? You know, the, the, these questions you're raising about, you know, how these laws will affect how we define where, you know, conception, fertilization, life begins. Is it safe to say <laughs> that this is some of the biggest threats or are there other things that are that are looming? I, 
I think there are a lot of things looming. I mean, to the extent that the Supreme Court tried to say we are only talking about a unique thing, abortion, because we're talking about, quote unquote, unborn human beings. It is very hard for those of us in the field and who study this very carefully to distinguish an IVF frozen embryo from an early fetus in the sense of the way they look, the way they defined this. So I think one real concern we have is will the Supreme Court, which has been clearly emboldened on many issues, jump at the opportunity to take a case that anti-abortion advocates tee up for? In 2018, there was a case out of Colorado, the Rooks case. There was an attempt to bring that to the Supreme Court and argue that a divorced woman should get the embryos over her husband's objection because they were human beings. The court did not take that case. I worry a lot that this new Supreme Court might take that case and might make a pronouncement. So I think that's a big fear. On the ground, I think we have to worry about things like embryos. I think we have to worry about things like surrogacy. I think patients are rightfully worried if they live and their embryos are stored in red states, whether they should be thinking about moving them and moving their treatment. And surrogacy has me worried because I think if we cannot protect a woman's decision-making around bodily autonomy, then everything we thought about surrogacy is up for question. We never thought intended parents could force a surrogate. I don't want anyone to think mis misconstrue what I'm saying. Every woman has always had the right to control her body, surrogates and uh, included. But if somebody wants to do something, a selective reduction, for example, is that going to be a problem? If she lives in a red state and says, but I'll travel to the blue state and we wrote our contract under the blue state laws, which are much better. Is there some citizen in Texas, for example, who can say, no, you pregnant woman may not travel out of Texas to somewhere else for a selective reduction because that fetus deserves our protection here in Texas. So I think we're starting to see some realistic concerns about how we treat embryos, and how we approach surrogacy. There's so much, uh, in, as, as you're describing all this, I know that there's a lot of fear and a lot of uh, unease, not just among patients, uh, but also providers as, as they scramble to find answers because patients, yep. of course, go to their providers first with these kinds of questions. Are there resources available at this time to, to, to sure. stay informed about these changing landscapes of the law? I mean, yes, there are. It's hard to keep it's hard to keep current, I will say, for anybody because things are changing so quickly. Uh, two things I'm involved in, I write, you know, legally speaking for ASRM News, and the last one we printed was on Dobbs and what we think it, we can, providers can expect. I wrote it with Katie Gottschalk, the director of the O'Neill Institute at Georgetown Law Center, trying to explain to people what we anticipate. ASRM has produced their new center, uh, two reports on the status of state laws. It's hard to keep current. One of the things I recommend to people um, is going online, and there are at least a couple of websites that update at least the abortion laws, not IVF per se or ART, but Guttmacher, Center for Reproductive Rights, and New York Times have abortion maps with state laws. And the other thing I've been involved in is Jones Rounds, which is a grant from the Howard and Georgiana Jones Foundation. And we've been producing both grand rounds 
and didactics modules for OBGYN departments and REI programs. And we've pivoted in the last six months to doing almost exclusively Dobbs related issues. And I'm sure there are a lot of other people who are presenting on this as I am at conferences. So I would just say, you, you know, you just gotta keep reading and listening and going to educational opportunities and watching and things change really fast. So it's hard to, it's hard to know, you know, as I said, I was encouraged when Tammy Duckworth filed her legislation. I was discouraged when the Republicans vetoed it all within a week. Well, we will make sure to put links to things that you have mentioned here uh, in our show notes so people can click on it uh, and start making some of those informed decisions. I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, My guest today has been Susan Crock, and we have been talking about legal considerations. Again, thank you so much for being able to come on the show. Thank you for wanting to to talk about these issues. They're hard, they're not fun, but they're really, really critical to those of us who are practicing in this field and who are using these services. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. And if you want to uh, subscribe and rate the show, please do so through Apple, Google, or whatever your podcatcher is. If you have questions for us, you can email us, asrm at asrm.org. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.